Well, good evening, brethren, and um, we continue today with our study on the epistles of Paul, and we have done an introduction on Galatians, and one of the things that it is easy for us to forget is that who our real enemy is. Quite often we, we get into, we say things that we shouldn't say, and, and it is as if we forget who the real enemy is. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, where it's talking about putting on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against all the tricks of the devil, it reminds us then in, in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6, that our battle is not against human beings, not against flesh and blood. And how many times do we, do we act as if, if it is um, against um, human beings, but it's not. Our, our battle is against powers of, of darkness and forces that exist. And, and we all struggle. And so we must not forget who our enemy is. Now, Paul was in his ministry as he went from town to town, he found also different challenges and different problems. And one of them is mentioned here in Galatians. And if we just turn to chapter 2, verse 4, in chapter 2, verse 4 of Galatians says, and this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ. So there is a situation in there. It's talking what was happening to the church at that time, that false brethren were coming in to accuse. They were accusing uh, and uh, and bringing in different doctrines, different doctrines. So we must not forget that our first attack is our, our really attacker, shall we say, is from Satan. We mustn't forget that. But it's interesting that one of the things Satan likes to attack is attack in one's credibility or authority we've seen that so many times in the church and this is was also happening to to paul his credibility and authority was being challenged and so in galatians chapter one and galatians chapter two we see paul defending his ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ, his, his authority, his apostolic authority. And then uh, Satan attacks us in various ways. And in this case with the Galatians was on the explanation of what is justification. If we look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 12, you see in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, and it says, as many as desire to make a good showing, uh, 
in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. So there was these people that wanted to kind of have a show that they were better than others and say, no, you got to do this as well, or you got to do that. And in this case was, you got to be circumcised. So this idea that circumcision of the flesh for the Gentiles was necessary was being injected there. Also, we read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, but then indeed, when you did not know God, it was before he became a Christian, you were Gentiles, you serve those which by nature are not God's. But now that you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn away, you turn again to the weekly and bigger elements which you desire again to be in bondage? So we see there that the effect on the Galatians of this pressure by some people saying, well, you've got to be circumcised, the outcome, the effect is that some of the Galatians were now turning back and rejecting Christianity and returning to their former pagan beliefs and practices. You see, so these people that came in, which defines it as false brethren, because they appear to be brethren, they, they probably were baptized, but Paul calls them false brethren. What they, was happening is that they were refusing to accept that circumcision, such as temple rituals and, and sacrifices and other administrative aspects of the Sinai covenant, in other words, of what we call the old covenant, were about to disappear. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, we read, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. So they were not willing to accept that those requirements, particularly for the Gentiles, were not, not requirements for uh, salvation. So the, the, those were the challenges, some of the challenges that Paul was having. One was an attack on his authority, and the other one was on uh, justification, that we are justified freely by faith of Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice, by his blood, by his death, he's paid for our sins, and, and not by works of any law or ceremonial law or temple sacrifices, that's not what makes us right. Uh, we are made right, we are redeemed by Christ's sacrifice. And so we, we see Satan is always stirring the pot and creating some problems. You know, Satan's mark is basically disobedience to God. When you think about it, what he wants is he wants people to disobey God. 
And so in this case here in the book of Galatians was that he was twisting the meaning of justification and therefore through it and that idea has continued even to today's world, that idea helps people to feel that, uh, that God's law is done away, uh, such as the Sabbath, God's Sabbath, God's holy days, etc. So that's why uh, he is addressing this uh, epistle to the Galatians. Once again, he first uh, addresses uh, his authority, he addresses the justification, but he also mentions in this epistle the superiority of the new covenant over the Sinai covenant, which is the old covenant, through Jesus Christ. And so only those free, freed from the bondage of sin by the blood of Christ, by his faith, can inherit what was promised to Abraham. So let's uh, touch back on the first few verses of Galatians, which we covered last time. And so in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Christ and God the Father, who raised him through the dead. And so we can see uh, that Paul is right at the front, uh, uh, tackling this issue that they were ac accusing Paul's authority. They were kind of undermining Paul's authority. So he's right there at that moment. He is addressing that. And then he continues uh, in verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. So Paul and all the brethren who are with him is writing to the churches in Galatia. So he is with different brethren and is writing to the churches in Galatia. Uh, as we read um, in verse 15, um, and uh, what, it, what we see in verse 15, he says that Paul was separated from his mother's womb and called through Christ's grace. So he was set aside for that purpose all the way from uh, uh, the, what should I say, from while he was in a mother's womb. And we know that his actual calling was through Christ's own personal intervention. So if we go back to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 is right at the beginning of the story or the Acts of the Apostles or uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 3 through 5, Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, he says, as, as he journeyed, that was Saul then, he came, well, Paul became Paul, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Or rather, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. So it, the, the one that actually called, Christ, uh, called Paul was Christ himself. Christ's own personal intervention. And, and that's why you are in the beginning of Galatians. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, An apostle, not through man, nor uh, not from man or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So that responsibility was given to Paul to be an apostle by Christ himself. Now, continuing verse 3 Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we went through that last time. So let's move on to verse 4. And I mentioned last time that verse 4 is like a specific purpose statement. And it says, uh, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So, this is, in a sense, the theme of this letter, of this epistle, to describe about Christ, uh, that he, what he's done to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the Father's will. So in first place is, yeah, in verse 4, is we, he gave who gave himself. This is very similar to what we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. So let's just go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6. So it's talking about have the same mindset as Christ has. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. In other words, was he himself voluntarily became a human being. He left by being a God being and he became a human being. And that's what he says. He, he was in the form of God. It was not robbery for him to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He made himself. So, um, so going back to verse 4, in uh, Galatians chapter 1, we see that Christ made himself or gave himself up for our sins. And so the second point here is for our sins. The first one is he gave himself. The second is for our sins. We know in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So our sins have earned us an income, an end result, death. So we all have sinned and we're all going to die. So if we read also Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 
23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned, right? So what has Christ done? He gave himself for us. That's what we read here in Galatians. He gave himself for us to deliver us for our sins, because of our sins, to deliver us. And so, yeah, we have. And continuing reading in verse 24 and 25 of Romans chapter 3, being justified, being justified freely, we are justified freely, gratis, by his grace. In other words, God's grace to us and what is God's grace? He gave his only begotten son to us. That's God's kindness and mercy. And he says, and that is through the redemption, that is through the buying back of our lives, which is in Christ. And then in verse 24, uh, beg your pardon, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation, in other words, like a mercy seat, a, a, a point of mercy by his blood. So God gave us Christ to buy us back because of his mercy through his blood, through faith, because of the faith that Christ had in doing this in absolute trust. So he had faith. And then he goes on to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So yeah, we have that Christ gave himself up for our sins. He buys us back through his blood. Uh, that's his mercy. That's his propitiation, his mercy. This is all done in faith to demonstrate God's righteousness. And that is because he is patient and he passes over our sins that we have previously committed. Passes over. And that, as we are starting to start thinking about Passover, uh, that's what it means, the Passover. Passover, the our sins, that is uh, one of the great symbolisms of that. So it says, um, uh, let's also read in uh, a little bit down in verse 28. Therefore, uh, that's still Romans 3. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified. In other words, a man is declared righteous, is made righteous before God. In other words, without sin. That a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now understand, it does not say saved. It says justified. It's different. It's made just. Christ has paid the fine. Think about it. This day. Christ has paid the penalty of our sins. And therefore, because of that, you and I can be brought back to life. Look at, uh, now continue verse 29. 
or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So God justifies whether you circumcise, in other words, whether you Jew, or whether you're not circumcised, whether you're Gentile. So does God, therefore, verse 31, do we make void the law because of faith? No, no. On the contrary, establish the law because now that we've been made declared righteous with God, now we better live according to that law. Otherwise, Christ has to die again and again and again. And you won't die that. You'll only die once. So we now are compelled. We are responsible to actually live according to the law. Um, now, uh, let's jump back a little bit to Romans 3, verse 21 and 22. Romans 3, verse 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But what does that mean? You see, because God's righteousness on in us, apart from the law, in other words, apart, because it's by justification by the sacrifice of Christ, that is revealed. That's, that's apart from the law is revealed. That's his righteousness. That's Christ. That's what he's done. It, and that is witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, that was prophesied in the law and in the prophets. Oh, yes, it was prophesied in the law. How? For instance, just give you one example. Part of the Torah of the law is the day of atonement, uh, I beg your pardon, the day of uh, uh, Passover. And uh, in the Passover, that lamb, undefiled lamb, pointed to Christ. So it was prophesied by the law, it was witnessed by the law. And the prophets, many prophecies, prophecies prophesy about Christ's coming. So, uh, so we can see, and that's why Christ said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it, which has a dual meaning. He came to obey it, but he also came to fulfill the law because the law pointed that there would be a Passover lamb as an example. And so he fulfilled that part of the law. Another part of the law is all the sacrifices in Leviticus chapter 1 through around about chapter 4 and 5. Those are fulfilled because they pointed to Christ. So they were witnessed by the law and also by the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith of Jesus, as it should read, as you can see it in the old King James Version, even the righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, and there's no difference. You see, it's the faith of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? Because he had faith in God. 
Christ had faith in God, the Father. Because he was willing to, of himself, he gave up his form of being in the form of God and became in the form of human being. And further, he died for us in absolute trust that the Father would resurrect him. And secondly, he did this because he knew, he trusted that this plan that the Father had designed was cleverly engineered and it would work. In other words, it would have the correct outcome that many people would come to repentance. So Christ, as we go back to Galatians chapter one, verse, verse four, uh, gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. As some verses puts it from the, this present evil world. So deliver us from this present evil age or world. We need to understand that the salvation is actually a process. And in a way, we are rescued now from this present evil world. But finally, when we'll endure, when we endure it till the end, because we got to endure it till the end, we will then ultimately be saved as spirit beings. The word evil yeah, is also an interesting one uh, in verse four. This word evil is from the Greek 4190, oneros, which means bringing toils, annoyances, perils, or causing pain and trouble. So it's not just evil. Yes, it is evil, but it's not just evil, but it is a situation which the God of this world, Satan, wants to bring about, cause, do evil to others. So it's an age in which there is this satanic intent to do evil on human beings. So it's this present evil age. Now, I, I want to mention also the word age. In some versions, it talks about world. And, uh, and there are three Greek words that are sometimes translated as world. The first one is in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, uh, it's talking about the angels who sinned and they were cast into Tartaru and delivered into the chains of darkness, waiting for judgment. And verse five, and did not spare the ancient world. The word for Waldia is Greek 2889, 
cosmos. So, um, and then we, we've seen in Galatians 1 verse 4, which is this evil world, and uh, the word yeah in Galatians 1 verse 4 is Greek 165, aeon, aeon, which represents more like a period of time, an age. And so the translation, New King James, which says um, in verse 4, this present evil age, it actually is uh, a good translation, is an age. Now, sometimes the word aeon is translated as eternity. But, and so it's a period of time. So aeon. And then there is a third word that is also used for or translated into English as world. And that's in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. And um, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. So the world to come, as we quite often say it in the Church of God, the world tomorrow, but what does we say today, beyond today, but uh, the world to come, this word world in this example is okumenei, which is uh, that world, that society to come that will not be under angels. You see, this society is under angels. Or put it this way, was put under an angel which rebelled, which is Satan, and and it was, and it's still under angels, but in this case is the god of this world, which is uh, Satan. But he was an angel, is an ex-angel that went bad. And that's why we call uh, the demons were angels that gone bad. But the world to come will not be subject to angels, will be subject to Christ, obviously under the Father, and to, subject to, the resurrected sons of God in the kingdom of God. So, uh, continue reading then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, and the fourth point here in this verse is according to the will of our God and Father. You see, Christ many times says, it's not my will. I do my Father's will. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And he went a little further, a farther, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ always did the father's will, even. Uh, at the time of his death of a great sacrifice, 
he did the father's will. So um, look at verse 42 as well um, in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 42. Uh, I had already turned my Bible, so let me go back there. Matthew uh, 26, verse 42. It says, again, a second time, he went and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink, your will be done. So Christ was always prepared to do the father's will. So, as we move on now, uh, verse 4 of Galatians chapter 1, Christ gave himself for our sins, because we, we have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. He's delivered us, and is from this evil age, which is an age in which Satan wants to cause trouble on us. And, uh, but this sacrifice of Christ is according to the will of God the Father. And that's what we saw there also in Matthew 26. It's the Father's will. And therefore, then it says in verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's why it says grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself according to the Father's will, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let's move on to verse 6. And then I marvel, says Paul, to the brethren in Galatians. So this was a time very soon after they had received the truth. So they had received the truth on his first missionary trip. And this is now in his second missionary trip. And it says, I marvel that you so quickly are turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So you so quickly are leaving, apostatizing uh, this great blessing we have. And even later on, uh, Paul says, when he was saying goodbye to the brethren in Ephesus, in Acts 20, verse 29 and 30, um, because he got brethren, uh, ministers to come into Ephesus, uh, obviously from areas like Galatia, and he said there'll be savage wolves uh, from among them. Well, he knew that, because this was already happening. So uh, this... Uh, would once he would leave, this would boil up and brew up. Um, and then look at Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4. It says, "For he who comes preaches and he who comes preaches, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul is saying, I'm worried that some of you 
are going to put up with it. Are going to allow it. And today, with internet and social media and things like that, these people can affect our brethren without us knowing. Because, you know, brethren will go on social media, on websites and things like that, will read things and will be impacted. So brethren are putting up with it. They're not saying, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to walk away from this. Oh, no, they've got very nice ideas and things like that. And people are putting up with it. And, uh, and, and then continue now reading in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. So that you're turning to a different gospel. Okay. Uh, and it says, yeah, for which is not another. But there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, so uh, people are turning to or deserting God's free gift. And they go into a different gospel. They're perverting, they're distorting it. Uh, turning their thinking into a different way of thinking. And note the Galatians were already being affected because these people were really perverting the gospel. It was perverting the good news. The good news that we justified freely through the faith of Christ. So, uh, so what, what was Paul always teaching? He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ. Look at Acts verse 28. Acts verse 28. Acts verse 28. I'll be a part of Acts 28. Chapter 28. I'll be a part of verse 23. And it says, um, And so when they appointed him a day, uh, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and Solomon testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning uh, Jesus. So he preached them the kingdom of God and persuading them regarding Jesus from both the law and the prophets, morning till evening. And look also at verse 31 in Acts 28, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus. So Christ, uh, Paul was teaching the, the gospel of Christ, which is part of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In other words, was preaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus, his role, his part in this whole bigger gospel, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God. So uh, let's continue now in Galatians chapter 1, and now we're going to read verse 8 and 9. But even if, if we, or even an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then the one you have received, let him be accursed. 
So yeah, we have a double curse. And then he says, verse 10, for I do not persuade men, beg a part of, for do I now persuade men, O God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So is he trying to persuade men? Is he trying to please men? He is going back to the point of his apostolic authority. He has a certain authority and he's emphasizing that authority. Right, so let's continue now in verse 11 and 12. But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's conversion, right, uh, we saw was directly through Christ's intervention. And he was teaching, what he was teaching was not from man, but was information he got from Christ himself. So let's look at first at Acts chapter 26, verse 15 and 16. Acts 26, verse 15 and 16. This is when Paul is talking to King Agrippa. And then he says, so I said, uh, who are you, Lord? That's Paul explaining his conversion to King Agrippa. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Christ called Paul and appeared to Paul for one specific purpose, to make him a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. Which I, Christ, will yet reveal to you. So, number one, Paul was not self-appointed. And number two, yeah, it shows clearly that Christ revealed specific things to Paul. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And yeah, uh, we see from verse 17, that's when he was calling the elders of the church uh, from Galatia and other areas surrounding to Ephesus. And uh, this was at the end of his third journey. And then uh, in uh, verse 24, it says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may, so that I may finish the race with joy. And the ministry 
which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Christ, Paul received this ministry directly from Christ to testify. That's what it says there. Which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And God's grace is what he's done through Christ. And not only to the Jews, but to all mankind. So, yeah, we see God through Christ, through God's Holy Spirit, which is God's power and essence. He was given this responsibility. That's what he says. Received from the Lord Jesus. So that's what happened. Let's look at also a verse 28. Look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that is ministers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, which he bought back with his own blood. So the Holy Spirit, that's what it says Yeah, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you ministers. So how's that? Because it comes from God, through Christ, through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, let's also read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, so, yeah, is Paul identify himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He did not of himself make himself an apostle or a minister of Jesus Christ. That is done by the will of God. Look at chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. Says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, yeah, not that we have we are sufficiently competent or have enough power of ourselves uh, to think of anything as being from ourselves for our sufficiency, our uh, our power, our competency. Is from God, who has made us sufficient, who has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But yeah, the, the point is, God has made us ministers of Jesus Christ. You see? And he made us competent. It's God that makes us. 
So you can't self-appoint yourself as a minister of God. You can't. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest, now it's talking about a high priest, and it says, uh, taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Right? So there was the, the priesthood, and then there was the high priest. So let's, let's just call it, in today's situation, ministers. They were the ministers. They were the priests, the, the, the ministers of, uh, that served the brethren there. And look at, a, at verse 4. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So, yes, it's talking in the context as a high priest. And no, no person can take this honor to be a high priest to God unless God calls him. And this was the case with, Abraham, uh, with, uh, with Aaron. He was called for that mission. And it's also the case with Christ. He was given the ministry according, according to the order of Melchizedek. And in likewise, that cascades down to every other minister which is the minister of Jesus Christ. There is that line of authority. Look at verse 6, still in Hebrews chapter 5. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It was the Father appointed Christ for that responsibility, and Christ likewise appoints ministers today. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but we have been approved by God. In other words, you are approved as a minister of Jesus Christ by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. The ministers have been entrusted, approved by God, We've got God's authority through Christ, and we are entrusted with the gospel. This is a very serious responsibility, brethren. Uh, it's a sacred trust from God to the ministers. It is wrong for people to go and say, well, I'm making myself a minister. It is wrong. It is so wrong. Now, why do I say this? Because there are many people out there that claim that they've been ordained or they've been anointed, but that authority has not come through God, through Christ, through his ministers, all the way down to them. They've come from different lines. Oh yeah, this person is, is ordained me. But you've got to go back and see where does that come from. And it's happening right yeah today. 
It's happening right yeah, today. This is serious, brethren. We have to be careful where some people are coming from, which claim they're ministers of Christ. And have they been approved by God? As we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, to be entrusted with the gospel. Anyway, let's continue now with Galatians chapter 1. Now we move to verse 13, because understand what we see is Paul is again declaring his apostolic authority. And he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Wow. And you know that's true. You know how Saul, which became Paul, consented to Stephen's martyrdom. You read of that in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, that they were even putting the things at, at his feet. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That was Stephen, the martyr. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. No wonder Paul says, behind Galatians chapter 1 verse 13, you have heard of my previous conduct, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Then look at verse 14. And I advanced in Judaism. Paul said, I became an expert, a top leader, a top ex example beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He advanced in that approach of Judaism, which was not biblical, but it was a twisted, distorted application of the old covenant. And he advanced in that. So I think, brethren, that's where we're going to stop today. Uh, we will then uh, continue on, on this section uh, next week, God willing. And so I hope you all 
have a good evening.